All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome back, 8020 Baseball Coaching Community coaches, parents, and some players I know listen to this. Welcome to this week's episode, our weekly get-together every Tuesday coming out with a new episode as we continue to mold and improve our coaching paradigm, our coaching strategies, our coaching plan. And while this podcast is designed specifically for youth baseball coaches. Almost all of it is applicable to parenting, to parents of youth baseball players and youth baseball players that are listening. So as always, it's great to be here. Part two of the interview with Mike is a good buddy of mine who had high level college experience, professional baseball experience, but is very in tune with the youth baseball community. He's back for round two for the second part of that interview. If you didn't listen to the first part, that was last week. I recommend going back and listening to part one in this episode. In just a minute, we're going to get into part two. Before we dive into that, I have one topic I want to hit on that can help us all get our players to be better leaders, to lead their peers, their teammates, to help us as coaches implement and apply and uphold the standards, the expectations, the rules, the procedures, the policies, the way we want our teams to go about things. So I've heard many a times in my coaching and playing career, something to the effect that great teams are player led. The great teams are led by the players. And I broke down some minor disagreement I had with that, and I lay out the evidence in previous episode. And it wasn't a full disagreement. It was a slight disagreement in that, at the end of the day, definitely youth baseball level, and even high school, the adults are in charge. The adults are the final say. The adults have the experience. But I understand getting players to grab hold of what we're trying to do as a coach and to help get the whole team going in the direction that we want them to head, that's awesome. We want that. We want players to buy in and speak up and lead. We want them to take some initiative. So I think there's a discrepancy in where I think the ultimate leadership falls on youth teams and not just youth teams. But when I say youth, I sound, I feel like my cousin Vinny. What'd you say? Did you say youth? Those of you that like my cousin Vinny, that's one of my favorite movies. Hardly talked about, but one of the better movies of my lifetime. I feel like that judge. Did you say youth? So Cousin Vinny and myself, I guess, have the same speech issues with that word youth. Work on the ending of that word. So youth baseball and high school baseball all the way up to basically anything under college. At the end of the day, the adults are the leaders. And you could say there's a lot of college level players that still need direction, that still need a lot of guidance, that still need the coaches to be the adult in the room and guide and lead. Not so much with pro ball, but nevertheless, Definitely want our players to help get the team going in the direction that we want them to go in as coaches. And right now I'm going to share with you something that I very rarely hear talked about. And that's the implementation part. That's the application part. That's the part of actually getting them to that point. So great teams are led by the players. It's almost a platitude. Again, it goes back to just really easy to say those things out there in the baseball community, whether it's on social media or on YouTube or at conferences or at clinics, it's a lot easier to say things like that because nobody's going to push back on that. Nobody's going to question that. 
Like we're all in agreement. It's great to have players step up and help the coach to help the coaching staff in a leadership way, in a leadership role, whether those leadership roles are in certain specific areas or from time to time, nobody's going to debate anybody with that. So it's easy to come out and say that. We see that across society. It's easy to say certain things, but when you have to put out the implementation, when you have to explain how it's going to be done or how you recommend it be done or ways in which it can be done, that's when you get the pushback. And I think that's why people are hesitant to dive into some of this stuff. And here at 8020, I'm not afraid to dive into it because the humility is first and foremost, I know I don't have all the answers. And that's why I've learned and been a massive student of the game for so long and studied all the great coaches at all the levels, tested out so many different strategies and been able to say, hey, these just absolutely work better and those don't and move forward from there. I have no problem laying out the implementation part or sharing it with you. Now, how do we get these players to lead? Here's the most important part, in my opinion. Players lead, players will help lead the team, not all players, but certain players, maybe a group of players, maybe certain players in certain roles will help lead, motivate, push in a positive way, their teammates, the team, when they know they will be backed up by the coaches, or if it's just one coach, by the coach. Players will lead and speak up when they know the expectations for the team, the standards, the rules are crystal clear and are consistently enforced by the coaches first. Likely the most important thing to get players to lead and not just get buy-in, but take that buy-in and then run with it. The most important thing in that area is for the players to respect their coach, their coaches, and know that the coaches respect them and they reciprocate that respect by helping to enforce the standards, the rules, the expectations, the policies, the procedures with their peers, with their teammates. So the two biggest things that I like to share here, if you want your players to help enforce the standards, the expectations, to help motivate and run with what we're trying to share with them and get them to do as a team. If we're trying to get their buy-in, if we want their buy-in, which of course we do, we should want their buy-in, we need their buy-in, then we want them to essentially help multiply our effect as good leaders. They first need to know that the expectations are clear and consistently enforced. How are they going to lead when they don't know what the path looks like? They don't know where the path is. Players can't lead their teammates and peers down a path if they don't have a clear path, they can guess if you leave it up to that. If you leave it kind of murky or cloudy, if we're not crystal clear with our expectations, our standards, that's why I'm a big fan of having very few rules and just don't let those rules be ignored, disregarded. They need to be upheld and enforced. Players need to know, players need to know the direction they need to take their teammates and peers in. They need to know what direction? Now you can leave it up to them and say, hey, we need you to be leaders and we need you to set an example. We need you to do this, that, and the other. But I think it's important that we first take care of our end of it, of our end of the deal as the adults, as the coaches, those with experience, not just in the game of baseball, but with life, with human beings, with others. We've seen a lot more. We can connect a lot more of the dots. So players need to know that the expectations are very clear. They need to have a clear understanding of the expectations. And they need to know that those expectations, like, are we hustling here? Are we lining up here? Are we doing this? Are we going to allow this? What are we going to do here with this drill? How is the pregame going to look? What's the expectation? What's the effort level that is expected? They need to know that. Then they can go 
lead and they can kind of self-enforce it. And they need to know that the coaches are going to back them. And they can know this without being told it if us coaches are consistent. Players need to have a clear understanding of what they're trying to do, where they're trying to lead their teammates. They need to know that it's consistently enforced by the adults first, by the coaches first. They're going to be a lot braver. They're going to feel a lot better about sticking their neck out when they know it's going to be backed up by the coaches and has been backed up. And that's just how it's done. That's how we do it. Not in the sense of like, oh, we just do it this way because that's how we do it. What I'm saying is, of course, you you have a clear why of why you do things. Now you've established the why, you've got the buy-in, and then you consistently establish that's how we play the game. This is how we practice. This is how we go about our throwing routine. This is how we go about our hitting approach. This is how we go about our base running drills, our effort, our pregame, our postgame, how we look at the coach, how we don't talk when the coach is talking, how we look them in the eye. You could go down the list of things that you've laid forth, you've set forth as a coach. They know that it's going to be consistent consistently enforced and consistently expected from them. And then they will be a lot more willing to stick their neck out for those things, put themselves on the line for this. And the most important thing I think boils down to the players have to respect their coaches. They're going to bat for the path you've laid for it. They're going to bat, no pun intended, to get their teammates to go in the direction that you've set forth. They will go to bat if there's buy-in on their side and they respect you as the coach and the coaching staff that has initially established the direction that the team is to go in, the way they're supposed to play the game, the way they're supposed to practice. So you can't just roll out there and say, hey, we need players to lead. Players, you should be the leaders here. Again, it sounds great. It's like ivory tower thinking. It's wishful thinking. Unless the foundation, the groundwork has been laid. And that's show respect to your players, get their buy-in, be consistent, have clear expectations, Give them the why behind things. Show them that you care genuinely. Praise them genuinely. And then they'll take your expectations, standards, the coaching staff's directions, and they'll stick their neck out for it as they get their peers and teammates to join them and get going in that direction, in a more positive direction. So I hope that sheds a little more light on it. I hope it gives you a little more substance than just hearing the message of coaches. You know, you, you got to get your players to lead. Great teams are player-led. Yes, for the most part, ultimately, we need to be the adults in the room, or should I say on the field, in the batting cage, at the practice, at the games. But if you're consistent and you show your players you care genuinely and you're consistent with your rules, expectations, standards, those players will step up. Some players, at least, it's very likely at least some players, if not a whole lot of them, will step up and check their teammates when necessary, which makes it much easier on the coach. Peer pressure is a super motivator, but don't expect the message of, hey, players, you got to lead, you know, you got to lead yourselves here. Don't just throw out the message, build the foundation, mix in the necessary ingredients. All right, now, part two of our interview with Mike Kofius. Again, Mike and I go back a long ways. I vouch for Mike. He's an A-plus guy. He's an A-plus parent. He was a heck of a ball player. And I think he has a lot of good information, a nice viewpoint to share with all of you. So we are going to dive into part two. In this part, here are some things we're going to discuss. First, I will ask Mike, what's something he's doing right now with the hitters that he's training that he thinks is ahead of the curve? And he has an interesting answer to that. We dive into a discussion on the hitting approach, the yes, yes, no versus no, no, yes hitting approaches, and which is best for youth hitters. And he shares a great tip to help keep kids loose and enjoying the game. So we're going to dive into that right now. What's one thing that you're doing with the hitters that you work with? Those hitters that you're training right now, 
What's one thing that you're doing that you think is ahead of the curve? I think as coaches, we're always trying to be better. And sometimes that puts us ahead of maybe what the mainstream coaching message is like with hitting. What's one thing you think you're doing right now that you, you believe is ahead of the curve? Yeah. Great question. I'll be honest. The wheel's been around for a long time. I, I didn't invent it. I just was fortunate enough to have been around some phenomenal coaches and players. And, and I was like you, I tried to absorb as much as I can. So my job right now is when I'm helping younger hitters is just to take the information I learn and give it to them. That way they could at least go through the process of understanding quicker than I did. So I like to work it backwards. I like to say like, okay, if you're trying, like show me a swing that looks like you're trying to hit this ball over the center fielder's head. And then show me a swing that looks like you're trying to pound the ball to third base. The swing's gonna be completely different, right? Now, they didn't think about mechanics, right? They had a target. And so I try to give them a target versus going over mechanics. Does that make sense? Here's the example. I said, hey, Bo, I'll give you, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you, if you can hit three balls hard to center field today. And then the kid that's hitting right behind you, I say, Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks. If you get three hits, who's got a better chance of getting the hundred bucks. I'm going with the first guy, the guy that hit the ball to center field. Yeah. Yes. Why? Because look, you can dictate where the ball goes, right? Now you might not be successful all the time, but you have a, at least you have a chance. You can't dictate whether you get three hits in a game or not. If you did, I'd still be playing. You know what I mean? Like, great point. If, if my plan is I'm trying to hit the ball big part of the field. And if I am trying to hit the ball to center field, my swing is going to look like that. If I'm trying to get a hit, my swing is going to look different, right? Because I, now I might swing at pitches that I'm not supposed to swing at or not good pitches. I look at it like this. I tell the kids, it's like, hey, I'm your math teacher and we're going to have a quiz tomorrow. If you want to know what's on the quiz, come see me after class or after school. And I ask them, would you show up? And they're like, yeah, of course. Why? Well, because I want to be prepared for the test. Well, okay, so let's let's work this backwards. Now, you, the pitcher's the test, right? And so a lot of these kids are pitchers and hitters. I'll say, okay, what's your best pitch? What number does the catcher throw down more than any other number? The one, right? All right, now, if I'm walking up to the plate and I ask the kid this, I say, oh, oh are you trying to get ahead of the count or behind of the count? And they're like, well, I'm trying to get ahead of the count. Oh, okay, so let, let's reverse engineer this. You throw fastballs more than any other pitch, and you're trying to get ahead in the count. So as a hitter, I know what pitch is coming. I know fastball for a strike is what he's trying to do. Now, he might not execute that, right? But that's what he's trying to do. So now I have an understanding. I know what's coming. Now, again, as you get a little bit older, things change in the scenarios and the situations. I get all that. But, you know, you've got to have a, some sort of idea of what's happening. And I, I said this earlier, you were really good at that. Hey, what do you think he's trying to do right here? Or, hey, do you notice a, his sequence? Or, and you're watching the game and that's your test. And so as a, as a hitter, I just think like, hey, go up there and, and hunt the fastball. Not, not if the ball's there, then I'm going to swing. I talked about that. I think we talked about it yesterday, right? It's like the difference between driving, if you're driving a golf off cart, because the kids are younger, so not, a, not all of them drive. What's the difference between if you have your foot on the brake and then you hit the gas, right? Versus when you have your foot on the gas and you hit the brake. Well, if I have my foot on the brake and I hit the gas, I'm going to sputter. And then you're going to have a herky-jerky. It's my mentality is, okay, I'm going to wait for this ball. And then if it's good, then I'm going to swing. You're going to have a herky-jerky swing, right? But if your foot's on the gas, like I'm swinging no matter what. Like one hunt committed to swinging. So it's foot's on the gas. And then last second, I pump the brake. Well, now, right, I'm giving myself a chance. I'm, be I'm a hitter, not a reactor, right? I want to jump in real quick, Mike. So... You're talking about two types of hitters that you could go up there. One is like they're waiting, they're on their, you're saying break. So they're, they're basically not in swing mode and then they go to swing mode, right? So they're, they're up there and maybe patient or whatever, or, or overthinking or whatever, but they're not in swing and go mode from the start. And then you have your hitters that go up there. They're like thinking swing, they're thinking swing, 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 that it's that yes, 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 no 
approach versus no, no, no. Oh yes, I got a swing. Mm -hmm. And so the herky jerky example you use is perfect for the go-kart or for adults driving a car. And this is the main point I'm trying to make here. I would think it's much better to have for all of sports, for all of any athletic movement, but definitely in this case for hitting, it's much better to have a herky jerky break, a herky jerky check swing, Mm -hmm. a herky jerky no swing than it is to have a herky jerky swing. Yes. It makes perfect sense, right? You don't mind if your check swing or your take is herky-jerky or looks kind of herky-jerky. In fact, inherently, all check swings look a little herky-jerky. That's what they are. But that's okay because you're not actually trying to make contact. But when you're actually trying to make contact and you're going from break to gas at the last second, or it's a no, 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 oh, yes, I'm going to swing approach. Now you're going herky-jerky into a swing. You see what I'm saying with that? Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I just think I, I just made you a better hitter right now. You did. You did. Now, if I could have your swing and I could need some lessons from you, I think I'd be on my way to playing for that elite Boise adult softball team you go. that they talk about in the in the local Sunday community paper. All right. So I think that's a great way of what you're doing. You're reverse engineering. You're working backwards with your hitters. Some people talk about first principles. It's the same idea. I like how you're trying to get hitters where you're saying, this is where we want to be, right? Here's the goal. And you're not necessarily always over critiquing and over instructing how to get there and trusting that they, maybe they can find a way. And then those players, those hitters that can't find a way to drive the ball over the center fielder's heads, then you stop and interject and give some tips on the swing. But you're talking about really the process. Like here's our process. Hit line drives hard over the center fielder's head. Versus getting hits. Yes. That's a result. And it makes sense. I'm sure most of the listeners are like, yeah, that that adds up. And that's really what we're trying to do here with this 80-20 is to not come up with these crazy concepts that are so foreign and different. We're really trying to simplify, prioritize, and articulate these concepts in a way that most everybody already knows or has heard or can really relate to right away. And then putting them, kind of packaging them in a much better way for our players. All right. A couple more questions for you, Mike. Man, I could talk all day with you. You're, you're always a blast. And you and I have always had great conversations all the way back to going to class together. We'd, we'd, hit, we'd go to weights at 6 a.m. And then we'd, we'd go and get a breakfast burrito and we were at Long Beach State and we'd go to the exercise science class and have a good time. It's always, we always joke about some of the classes. So that was great. And all the players we played. I know when you and I were there, coming out those years that we were there, it produced more major leaguers than any other college in all of the United States. I think they're a little bit lower down on the ranking now, but we were surrounded by some great baseball. You were at Lakewood, played for a Hall of Fame coach, and uh, so you've been around it. So rolling into the next question here, what do you think is the most overrated tactic or coaching point used by youth hitting coaches in today's game? Yeah. So obviously uh, social media, it can be great, but also stinks. And that's in all aspects of, of life, not just hitting, right? Some guys will put out a video and, and it's good content, but they're almost condescending when they're in self-promoting, when they're articulating their new idea or they're making their video. I mean, it's interesting because hitting, you have two camps, right? You have one camp says, as soon as you say launch angle, half the room's like, oh, I'm out. This guy's doesn't know what he's talking about. And then if I, or the other half will, will say the same thing. If you mention backspin the ball to center field, right? Just like these two, can't we have both, right? Hey, if you're going to go out there, well, let me work it back this way. How many baseball players or how many players are there in the infield? Five plus a catcher is a six. Okay. So you have six people in a small area and then you have one, two, three guys in a big area. The name of the game is getting hit, right? So where do we need to hit the ball? We need to ball in the outfield, right? Especially as you get older, you start hitting, hitting balls a shortstop. Good luck, right? You got to hit the ball in the outfield. That doesn't mean just popping balls up and let's just see what happens, but you have to get the ball in the outfield, right? The name of the game is get hit. So you have to hit the ball where there's less people. That's the whole idea. So 
when someone says launch angle, or I say, hey, hit the ball hard and hit it high. Well, that doesn't mean pop it up. That means I want, I, we need to get the ball in the gap, right? That's what we're trying to do. Because if you hit the ball hard and high, guess what? You were successful, whether he catches it or not. But if you hit a little rollover and it gets through the infield, is that a good at bat? You, you got your hit. Here, here's the example. Okay, so, well, let's say you're hitting third and I'm hitting fourth. Okay. You smash a ball, center field. Center fielder makes a great catch, right? And now you're back in the dugout. How do you feel? I should probably feel good about myself, but I'm guessing that a lot of hitters aren't coached up the right way. So maybe they're down on themselves because oh. they look at the result. Right. So now I'm the next guy up. I'm hitting fourth, right? Trying to get you better pitches to hit. So I get jammed, right? The ball goes over the third baseman's head and then it rolls into the bullpen down the left field. And now I'm standing on second base. I feel great. Why? Because I got the result. But you had the better at bat, but I feel more confident. That's not right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you line out, dude, that you did everything right. You did everything right. Like you build on that because I think we just get so tied up in the, I got to get the hits. I got to get the hits. Like, hey, go out there and have good at bats and it'll take care of itself. Definitely. I think it would be ideal for or optimal for coaches, especially youth coaches or any coach where there's the quality at bats and anybody that's not familiar with like quality at bats or the term quality at bats, there's a way to quantify what quality at bats are. And most coaches agree on most of it. There's some differences depending on who you're talking to, what a quality at bat measurement would be. For example, you could strike out and still have it be registered or marked down as a quality at bat. If and so you saw 10 pitches or you worked the at bat a long time, or if you smoked the line drive, like you said, the center field, but it got caught, that would be considered a quality at bat. And I think that's a good start. And I think that's important, but I think what the message really has to be is if we're going to talk about that, then we can't talk about going three for four. I've coached with coaches, Mike, that are like, and they're great coaches. And, but even then they're like, Hey, we, 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 we're batting this as a team. We're batting 250 as a team or 200 as a team with runners in scoring position or with runners in scoring position yesterday, we were two for 20. And they start talking about the results when it comes to hits. Right. And then they turn around and talk about, hey, we got to have more quality at bats. It's about quality at bats. It's about quality at bats. And that message contradicts each other in terms of what we're trying to get out of our players. I think we should just almost get rid of one side of it completely and only talk about Hey, as a team today, we were 45 of 60 driving the ball or quality at bats or whatever. A quality at bats good because it does take in or factor in walks, right? And so that's good. You don't want to ding a kid who got a walk because he didn't hit a line drive. Now you're going to get kids swinging at pitches just because they know yeah. they're going to get a point. Yeah. <laughs> I think we almost have to shift our dialogue almost completely away from hits and batting average and just really hone in on those stats like, line drives and walks. Right, yeah, like I said, if, if you look, how many times has this happened where you, you get home from a game and the neighbor's out there watering the lawn or whatever, and they're like, oh, hey, Johnny, how many hits did you get today? And, they're, and you're like, none. And they're like, oh, we'll, we'll get them next time. And it's like, wait a minute. Well, well, yeah, I didn't get any hits, but hey, I had a runner on third with less than two outs and I hit a fly, fly ball deep to right that scored them. And then I made a sweet play at, at first base and I picked the ball or whatever and it went two to one. You know what I'm saying? So like, did you have a good game? Yeah, I did, but how many hits did you get? None. Oh, get them next time, bud. And it's just, how do we articulate what success is? Reframing success. Yes. Listeners, what Mike's talking about here, I think is, is so crucial. We can, we can envision a better path. We can, we can talk about work the process over results. We can talk about focusing on quality at best, but until we eliminate the other message along with that, we're going to send mixed messages, contradict messages to our team and to our players. And I think it's hard because most all of us our age, these are the average age of our listeners is 35 to 55. We're all in the same 
era we grew up in and batting average and how many hit that's still talked about today, even yeah. a lot less now on TV than before. But that's all we ever heard was, did you go two for four, three for four, one for four, four for four? That's it. That's all we ever talked about. Home runs, strikeouts. And I think we need to really just reframe that. And it's hard, but I think you got to set the message early on uh, with that. Now, speaking of setting a message, moving to this next question, what's one key thing that you do to keep the game fun for your kids, for your athletes? What's something you do to keep it fun and enjoyable and keep it all in perspective while you're out there? Yeah, I think you got to smile and you have to laugh, right? I forget who told me this. This is with a kid. And they said, if you're ever like mad, Go in front of a mirror and smile for 10 seconds. Dude, it goes away. Try it. Next time you get mad, it's weird. Go in a mirror, smile for 10 seconds and see what happens. Dude, your whole, your mind shifts, right? It, it, it changes. So I think you have to laugh. You have to have fun. You have to keep things loose. There's a time to work. You got to get your work done. But you got to sometimes, especially with the younger kids, right? You got to keep things loose and fun. This might sound a little, a little rough, but there's times when they, let's say I'm, I'm throwing to a kid and he's struggling. I just start laughing. And then they look at me like, oh, and then they start laughing too. Right. Like, oh, and it just breaks up that, that seriousness, right? Like, oh, I would be perfect. No, you don't. You guys pick the wrong game if you want to be perfect. Right. And so I think you yes. have to be able to laugh. It's just like life. You have to be able to laugh at yourself. You have to be able to make mistakes and be like, you know what? It's better to make mistakes on the field and make mistakes in life than to sit on the sidelines and be safe. 100%. Like, hey, you got to laugh. And then, or I'll tell a kid, like, hey, you're, you know, you're really doing a good job, X, Y, and Z. And then the next one, they script and then, oh, accept. Except for that one or what happened there. Boy, you blew that one. I guess you're going back to your old habits. Just to lighten the mood up. Because some of these kids, they go in there with like life and death. Each swing is like, no, like, it, it, this is fun. This is fun. And we got to have fun. And I will say this too. Let's say I, I throw to a kid and he has just a great, everything works perfect. And he walks out of there and then gets in the car with mom or dad. And he's like, how is hitting? Oh, it's great. I was hitting the ball over the place. And then there's another kid and the next kid. And I throw the ball and he just struggles, right? Just And then the last 15 minutes or so, he figures it out. And then he gets back in the car and then mom and dad was like, hey, how'd it go? I was like, man, I was all right. I actually think the second kid had a better lesson because he had to go through some trials and tribulations and figure out a way to get where he needed to be, right? It's all great when things are going great, bam, 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 everything's good. But like you go through it and like, it'd be the example of like you're doing bullpens and like kid cannot throw a strike. And then all of a sudden he figures it out at the end. But it's like, okay, you got better because you went through it. And now you have something to go back to when it's going to happen again, or you're not going to be able to throw strikes, or you're not going to, your swing's not going to be you know, perfect. What did you do to get yourself back to where you needed to be? And I think that is a better lesson than the one that's just like, wham, bam, everything's good. Go home. Absolutely. You put that in a perspective, a different perspective about what success yeah. does look like. And, and I think coaches, we want or as parents, we will talk about this to our kids or as coaches, we'll talk about it to our players and our team of, hey, we got to have fun out here. We got to have fun out here. And then if I'm a spectator rolling up to the game, the first thing I see is that coach is tense. They're tense. They're tight. They're yelling. Or you can just tell there's an intensity and a tenseness and there's no fun at all coming from that coach. Yet that coach just gave a pep talk to their team about having fun or the parent that sends their kid out to practice or to the game and goes, hey, just have fun out there. And then when they're in the stands in the first inning, yelling at the umpire or doing the opposite. So I think it's important that not only do we tell kids and make sure that they understand that it's about having an enjoyable time and fun, we also need to send that message with our body language and our behavior. I want to say this, the respect for the hitter that overcome or a player that overcomes some trial tribulations gets better. I look at it like in a big picture in life. You think of 
I have a lot of respect for people that stay on the straight and narrow. You've been, you and this, you guys have always been on the straight. You've always been good. Take care of your health. You've always been good people. You've always been on a good trajectory in life. But you came from a loving family. You guys had loving parents. But then there's some come from you maybe the same neighborhood that didn't have that didn't have that structure. They were a broken home. And then they got into some really bad problem, maybe a drug addiction. And then they overcome that and become this amazing adult. They overcome this crazy obstacle. The most respect I have for people is probably just a notch above those that stay on and really continue to be great people their entire life, which is amazing. The only thing above that is probably those that overcame some crazy challenge or obstacle or drug addiction and then became a better person because of that. I know that's an example of life. But the hitter that, that struggles and then who strikes out looks bad and then or three at bats and then sticks with it and grinds it and comes through with a game winning double in their last at bat versus the kid who just had four hits the whole game. Speaking of having fun, Derek Jeter yesterday at the All Star game before the game they interviewed him, Colin Coward interviewed him and said, "Why were you so good in All Star games in postseason?" And he said, "Because I had fun. I kept it fun. I didn't tense up because of the big situation. I had fun with it." And he also said something that relates to this. They asked him, why did the fans in New York have more patience with you than like some of the free agents that come to New York? They have no patience. They have that one bad week. They want them out of town. He's all because, because as a rookie, you, you get a little bit more failure. You get a lot more failure because you're a rookie. You're coming up through their system. And then he said that that allowed him to grow. And then they related to it. Like we relate to people that overcome failure and then have success. Like the hitter that's struggling and then overcomes, we all can relate to overcoming trouble in our lives or, or hardships or, or struggles and then overcoming it in that feeling. And we have a lot of respect for that. A little long-winded way of just tying a couple pieces together. Mike, one last thing real quick. Any tips? You do private lessons. You have a tip for players that come out there, parents that come out there. Any tips for getting the most out of a private lesson? I know your time is tight here. I know I'm holding you after. I know you got plans and you're, you're down in San Diego, right? You're down in San Diego. Yes, sir. And I'm sure you want to get out. I know Lindsay's patient. She's the best. Just Maybe one last, do you have a tip? You do a lot of private lessons. You're really good at those. You have a lot of successes or something you would recommend. Yeah, to players. Just, yeah, this is the biggest thing. Challenge everything. Anything, anyone tells you anything, challenge it. Don't be combative, but challenge it. And this is in life and this is in baseball and this is whatever you're doing. The only way you're going to be confident in what you're doing is by knowing. So I give the example. If your math teacher says two plus two is four and you're like, cool, okay. And then someone asks you later on down the road, hey, what's two plus two? Four. Why? Because Miss So-and-so told me, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to knowing and understanding why. Let's say you're doing a bullpen, right? And you say, hey, do this. I want the kids to ask, okay, I understand what you're asking me and I'm going to try, but look, can you tell me why? So I understand, because once I understand, I'm going to be more confident in what I'm doing, right? It's not just like, hey, why is your back elbow up? Because Coach Mike's in, or you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, here's why I want your hands in this position. Because look at all these guys on TV, they all do it, right? And then, oh, you want to catch the ball in a certain position. Why? Well, because that's the strongest position you can be in. Oh, okay. Now, now they know what the strongest position to be in when I catch the ball, right? How do I get there? And so now it's like, okay, I understand what I'm trying to do. And now how do I get there versus flipping balls and hitting them? And let's just see what happens. That goes back to the flip of the coin. Heads, my swing feels good. Tails, it doesn't. And we don't want that. We want to understand why. So it is like anything like, like when you're in school, hey, why is it like this? I don't want to be told something and just regurgitate. I want to understand. And so. That's a great tip. Yeah. I, I, I would throw on there, ask in a polite way, learn to ask, ask in a polite way why. And it does two things. Like you said, it helps the player better understand what it is they're doing and the understanding gets deeper and it gets ingrained more and that change and that benefit or 
that adjustment will probably last longer and make a bigger difference. And also it challenges the coaches to maybe really look at introspect and, and make sure that they're coaching it the best way or they're coaching it the right way. So definitely a lot of benefits from that approach. That's a great tip, Mike. And hey, I'll tell you what, speaking of tips, thank you for coming on here and sharing out a lot of your wisdom with the, the listeners. It's always good. I love talking to you and I know the listeners are going to enjoy this when it goes live. Uh, thank you for your time, Mike. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, Bo, I'm a big fan of 8020. Uh, I appreciate you. Love you, man. And uh, let's do it again. Sounds good, Mike. You take care. All right. That wraps up our interview. Hope you enjoyed that. Send me your feedback. Reach out. Send me your questions about anything related to coaching. My email is coachbo at 8020baseball.com, coachbo at 8020baseball.com, or you can head over to the website 8020baseball.com and contact me through there. Next week, I will share what I think is a hugely helpful tip for prepping your players to better handle tough situations, tough outcomes, tough results. So I'll share that helpful tip with all of you next week, next Tuesday, when the next episode gets published. And if you're getting a lot out of this podcast, you know, I don't run ads on here. This is just me dedicating this time, trying to give back to the youth baseball community, feeling like this is a calling of mine based off of the last 42 years of my life. Let's subtract the first three. And that's when I discovered baseball. And all the way up till now, I'm just trying to give back because I feel like my calling is obviously baseball for all these years, but coaching and trying to improve how we work with kids, players, teams, how to get the most out of them, how to go out there confidently with a great plan. So to support the podcast, the best thing to do is share it. Share it with a couple people that you know. Just send them the link. Hey, check this out. Hey, this is a podcast I've been listening to. Check it out. That would be awesome. And until next week, take care of that health, your families, your close friends. Take this out there to the field, to the training environment, to the practice, to the games. Put it into action. And I look forward to being back here next week with all of you. And until then, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field. 